just have to keep jumping in and, and, and working on things. I think too many people want to sit uh, behind a desk or in a, in a huddle room and just noodle out on a whiteboard, this big vision. And a lot of people can articulate that vision. They see, they see the empire that they want to build. They see it at scale, but they don't know how to take one step forward. Hey everyone, this is Devin Miller here with another invent, another episode of the Inventive Journey, and I am your host, Devin Miller, the serial entrepreneur that's also the founder and CEO of Miller IP Law, where we help uh, startups and uh, small businesses with patents and trademarks. And today we've got a great guest, uh, great guest to come on. His uh, name is Alex, and uh, Alex uh, started out uh, with a few different startups. So there was uh, Tixers, or I think it's Tixers, and he might correct me. If I say it incorrectly, but where you can uh, trade in your tickets and you uh, for new events, or you can get credits for it. And then he's also worked for uh, PNG. And then now he's he's uh, actually one of the things I thought was interesting, and he's in the business now, and it's a, a kind of an interesting startup. It was with, and again, I'll let you talk or tell much better your in, introduction. But um, if for those of you that may remember, so Amazon Prime a while back um, was looking to shift away from necessarily UPS or USPS and actually um, offer a kind of a startup uh, opportunity for those that are wanting to do delivery and otherwise wanting to manage the, uh, the, la- the delivery of many of their packages. And so with that, Alex started the, the Prime Prospects, which is just that and taking advantage of that opportunity that uh, Amazon did in order to do his uh, current startup. So with that, welcome to the podcast, Alex. I appreciate it. Uh, thanks. thanks for having me. So, so yeah, I gave a short intro. I'm sure I slaughtered it and told everything incorrectly and either embellished it not enough or too much. But with that intro, uh, maybe tell us a little bit about your journey and kind of where you started and what brought you to where you're at today. No, that's perfect. I appreciate it. Yeah. So for me, um, you know, I'll kind of even go back a little bit to college. Uh, you know, I always knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur and actually even before college, just grew up with a family of entrepreneurs and just knew that's what I wanted to do with my life. And, uh, uh, so I went to study it at uh, Xavier University in Cincinnati, Ohio, and they were one of the top-ranked entrepreneurship programs at the time. And, and when I got done with uh, school, I, I realized that I needed to go get an actual job, and no one was going to give me venture capital money to start my own business. And so I went to Macy's corporate offices here in Cincinnati and learned a lot of the fundamentals of business. And then while I was there, I knew that uh, I wasn't going to be an entrepreneur, or I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I wasn't going to be in the corporate world forever. And so I took a leap started the company that you mentioned called Tixers. It was a wild adventure. I had no idea what I was doing at 24 years old at the time. Learned everything from, you know, building a technology product from scratch, motivating a team, doing, you know, uh, I'll jump in, giving the, just the short introduction. So what is Tixers or what was the idea? I gave a very short intro, but maybe just give a little bit of background as to your first startup, kind of what that was. Yeah. I mean, it was, the, the vision was, is, you know, obviously StubHub existed. Everybody knew what StubHub was. Our differentiator was you could trade your tickets. So say you couldn't go to a Cincinnati Reds game, you could trade your tickets in and go to a Cincinnati Bengals game or rack up credits and go to the Final Four or the Super Bowl or a marquee event. And we started to expand into concerts and, and other venues. And so uh, that was the big vision and the differentiator behind Tixers. And what was unique was, you know, it's for cash on StubHub, but then, you know, you left the platform with us you were able to get an instant value and that's what was sticky for a lot of customers and they would come back time and time again and we could kind of preserve some of that value and take a lot of the hassle off their plates. And so uh, I, I raised some angel capital with it and, and rather than continue to go 
and raise more capital, I had the opportunity to sell the company. Uh, you know, might have sold the company a little bit soon in terms of the trajectory, but from the, the time of my life and where I was at and, and learning everything about how to build a business end to end and, and ultimately get acquired, it was, it was a good opportunity. And it was a complimentary company uh, that did professional sports apps uh, that acquired us. And, and we started to embed some things with Tixers uh, within their platforms. And then ultimately, just like a lot of acquisitions are, uh, you know, it was time for me to move on. And I wasn't quite ready to start another company. I had gone through the gauntlet of the roller coaster of starting uh, a business. And I decided to, to hone in on some more skills and went into Procter and Gamble, uh, so, learned marketing. Sorry, just to jump in. So before we jump to Procter and Gamble, just had kind of one follow-up question. So far to look at, um, or if you to look at when you're exiting the, the Tixers, you kind of said, well, I may have sold earlier, or maybe, but it worked out well. How did you make the decision, you know, to sell? Was it, hey, they approached me and, you know, they made a good offer and I wanted take the money and run, so to speak, and it was a good run while it lasted. Do you think you're reaching, you know, reaching the peak of the business? It was on the end, uh, on the way down. You wanted to make a new business or, you know, kind of what made that transition yeah. from going it there? A, it was a combination of things. I think one is we were in a really good space at the time. And I, part of me as a young entrepreneur was like, hey, somebody else going to come knocking on my door. Uh, but I also just really saw the vision, right? Where, yes, I could continue to go and get more teams. So we had some uh, partnerships in Cincinnati, but how do I scale to more partners uh, faster? One big reason. The other big reason was um, from an investor standpoint, right? I was young and, and you know taking on money from people and I wanted to return that capital back to them. That was important to me as, a, as a, what I wanted to do, a lifelong entrepreneurship journey. So I knew that this wouldn't be my end-all be-all company. And that was a big factor into to my why. And now I have a lot of investors uh, I, I do some consulting for one now that actually was my first lead investor. And now we have a really good relationship. I help him out with his venture capitalist company that invests in, in startups across the country. It's called Kinetic Ventures. And so that was a part of my vision, right? Is how do I not only, yes, I could have, you know, grown larger and, and, and had a, a larger acquisition and things could have been different. But at the same time, um, you know, I liked having a single rather than trying to hit a home run and striking out, right? That's kind of how I... I put it in my mind. And then, you know, fortunately, if I think about it today, if I was still in that business today with COVID-19 hitting, um, my business would probably be bankrupt, right? Um, people aren't going to sporting events or, or events. And obviously StubHub has been in the news for some, you know, difficulties that they're having, you know, weathering the storm. And so I think that was a part of it, just uncertainty, what could come in and just, you know, chop my legs out and I have no business. And as an entrepreneur, that's just kind of the ongoing calculation I was always running in my head and just kind of took, uh, the opportunity that was at my, my, my fingertips at the time. Okay. So no, that's a good insight. Cause I mean, it's always, I think it's, it's always a hard decision, you know, or unless, unless they just offer you so much money that it's an easy decision, but 95% of the time, it's always a hard decision. Hey, do I stay longer? Did I wait too long? Do I time the market right? Do I have another opportunity? So I think it's an insightful to kind of, you know, what was the motivation for that decision? So I yeah. interrupted, but I'll go ahead. No, that's perfect. And you know, the other last thing I was also, at this personal journey too, where I was getting married at the time, um, I was buying my first home. And so some of those things was like, hey, is it really worthwhile for me to continue to eat ramen noodles the way that I was and do what I was doing? I mean, that was kind of part of the decision making kind of came into play there as well. Hmm. So no, and I think that's, that, that certainly makes sense. So if you to do that, then you go to uh, Procter & Gamble, or uh, as I said, P&G, is that right? That was the next one? Yeah. yeah. And so, so a lot of so if I did, sorry, one question I'll, I'll intro into it. So if you were to do that, you know, so you come out, you, you do your startup and you said you kind of always, you grew in a family of entrepreneurs, you did your startup. 
what made you decide to go to P&G as opposed to roll over or reinvest to your next startup? Was it wanted to take a break from the startup world, didn't have the funding, didn't have the idea, or what kind of made you to jump back to P&G or to a larger company? Yeah. So, so some of my investors in um, Tixers worked at P&G. And what they were talking about is, you know, I wanted to stay in Cincinnati. I wasn't, you know, even when we got acquired, the company was out of Florida. And a part of the acquisition was I wanted to keep my team in Cincinnati. And so I wanted to con continue to grow uh, here in the city. And P&G is the, the largest kind of innovative company here in town. And, and I just had a lot of skills that I wanted to scratch off. So, for example, at Tixers, we didn't have a StubHub size budget to uh, do marketing. And I was real, real scrappy getting free you know, kind of placement in local uh, newspapers and television and, and, and so forth and organic word of mouth and social media. But I wanted to know, hey, say I had a huge budget, what would my search budget look like? What would be my performance marketing? And so I went into P&G to lead an effort there, help them launch a new version of their Pampers Rewards app. So, um, you know, we had over millions of, uh, of downloads and just really got to see what it would be like to, to have a, a startup at scale, but within a larger company. So I was in a unique group called Startup Pampers. And so I was still able to uh, be an entrepreneur almost in a sense, but in, within a larger company. But everybody kind of knew that I'd probably be uh, not there forever. And some of them actually had bets be like, how long are you actually going to stay within this corporate giant? <laughs> and what's actually where it's come full circle is I still consult there today. So I've actually done a couple projects still uh, with P&G and help them think about a couple different ways of how they harness entrepreneurship within the company and also how they, uh, you know, work in lean teams and build some cool products. So I've uh, been fortunate to be able to still stay involved and it's been great as well. Uh, so that was kind of some of the decision-making there. Uh, don't regret that either, but at the same time, you know, I kind of just, what's the opportunity, what's it look like? And really it was a, it was a, it was a learning phase, you know, as I was still in my twenties. Okay. So, and just out of curiosity, so who won the bet or did somebody win the bet as far as uh, how long? Yeah, yeah, a lot of people. So some people said uh, less than a year. I, I made it about 18 months. So, uh, so uh, most people won, won the bet, you know, within uh, a couple of months or so. So. <laughs> All right, I was just curious. So, always yeah. interesting. So, so you did, you decided, okay, you did P&G for a while, got that experience, had the bigger budget, kind of had the opportunity to do that. And then I think when we talked before you, then you went to your next, uh, another startup, which is everything yeah. at the house. Yeah. Everything but the house. So everything but the house was at one point, the, it was an article that went out was the largest venture backed um, company in the state of Ohio. And so I was another type of, of learning equation. Hey, I'm not ready to be an entrepreneur yet. I quite, I don't have that idea, but how can I scratch up another piece of my, uh, my resume, which was I'll go in and help um, a large organization. that's still a startup in a sense. And, and one of the reasons why I went over there as well is um, the former CMO of Dollar Shave Club, his name's Adam Weber. Uh, he was a PNG guy too. We didn't know exactly. Um, we didn't have a connection exactly beforehand, but he was coming over from Dollar Shave to everything but the house. Uh, the, there was the, the former CEO of Zipcar that took them public. We're going over there. So I really wanted to work with some people in Cincinnati that I respected and knew uh, that I could learn a lot from as well. And then also uh, help, help the company out. So I got to do some cool projects there, did a sale with the Cincinnati Reds, was still able to do uh, a lot of the things that I enjoy in the sports space. So we literally went into Cincinnati Reds ballpark, auctioned off um, a lot of their old museum items and built up a lot of buzz and marketing uh, within uh, the city and, and nationally. And so I did a lot of unique projects there. And again, was brought on to be an entrepreneur uh, to within a larger company, but it was still a, a startup in a sense. And so that company had some up downs all arounds and ended up 
you know, actually getting uh, sold back to the original uh, founders of the company who I have a relationship with still today. So it was cool to, again, kind of see another check mark of, all right, how can I go in? How can I still be innovative and entrepreneurial, but maybe not bear all that risk that you take when you're an entrepreneur yourself? Hmm. No, I think and, that's that's they, and that's when the Amazon thing popped up. So uh, when that opportunity came about, I probably had 20 people that said, hey, uh, calling all entrepreneurs, you should check into this. And I'm like, you know, I don't know much about logistics, so to speak, but I mean, I love Amazon, uh, respect the brand and would love to be a part of it. And so I was one of the first, what they call pioneers of the delivery service partner program. So I started last June, um, with literally five vans and about 10 employees. And literally to this week almost is our one year anniversary. And we have, um, you know, 50 plus vans out on the road, hundreds of employees, and our, our business is kind of booming with everything that's going on with the, uh, with the pandemic and the surge in demand because of that. And so, again, it's another one of those things where it was, I was ready. Um, Uncharted Waters uh, was kind of built up the past three years beforehand to, to recover from my entrepreneurial journey. And, and it's, been a, it's been a wild ride this past year again. And so if I could go back, I would definitely do this opportunity time and time again. And what it's allowed me to do is, yes, I'm, I'm working on my Amazon business and doing those things, but I'm building cool businesses and, uh, around it. Uh, and from a consulting standpoint, still able to engage with P&G and the venture capitalists that invested in me. So still getting to work on a lot of really cool, innovative projects while uh, I'm delivering uh, that base business with Amazon. So, and, and we'll jump on both those, but if you're to take the, the base business with Amazon, so walk me through how it works. So in the one sense, it feels like, you know, you've got the kind of the backing of a big company and yet on the other sense, you know, they, I think if, and I don't haven't dived into nearly as deep as you would know, but they kept it kind of separate to where it's a little bit of arm's length in the sense that you're still your own startup or business or distributor, but then they exclusively ship through you or how does that work or how does, does yes. it allow you the freedom of a startup or are you still kind of bound within what Amazon, the company? Yeah, it's a balance. I mean, it's definitely, you know, when I was going through the process, is, is I, I am my own boss. At the end of the day, the company is my company. The employees work for my company. But, you know, we have a unique, it's a partnership, right? I mean, Amazon has standards uh, that make Amazon great and we have to adhere to those standards. And so it's, it's a give and take. Uh, it's all about relationship building. It's like it with any, it's any client, right? If say I'm doing work with P&G and I'm an agency in town, um, obviously I, I might work at that agency or own that agency and P&G is the client and there's ways that you have to do what the client wants, but other times you can, you, they're, they're hiring you for your expertise. And so how do you have a, a give and take relationship that allows both uh, partners to win. And, and that's how we've approached it. It's a partnership. Uh, first and foremost, uh, we, we have to stick to our guns sometimes when we know our business a certain way, even if Amazon wants us to do things and more times than none, we, we partner together to, to do what we are on a mission to, which is to successfully deliver packages in the greater Cincinnati area and put smiles on people's face. Oh, cool. No, it sounds like a exciting and fun business and an interesting opportunity. And so you mentioned so you do that, and then you also kind of keep involved with some P&G, with other investors, and with other projects. So are you kind of pursuing two paths, one on the Amazon side, and then are you have other, other things in the works or other business ideas that you're working on, or how is that going? Yeah, you know, just anything that could kind of complement my business. You know, one big thing we're working on is just, it's just this ecosystem of talent, right? And we're, we're, we're helping people, obviously, they come drive for our company, and, and they learn from the ground up what uh, – the best company in the world arguably is doing right. And, and, and 
if I can keep them as drivers forever, great. Uh, but if I can't, what can I do from a, a career perspective? So I'm noodling around some ideas on a talent front. How can we continue to harness our talent to help out other companies in town, traditional, like comparable to how recruiting and staffing companies operate, but how can we do it in a unique and innovative way? And so definitely noodling around some things with that. Um, and, and that's where, obviously, uh, ironically, where I'm at right now is, is University of Cincinnati, uh, which is where I teach a, a course on innovation. So definitely got my hands in a lot of different pockets, but I'm able to harness a lot of that creativity and innovation um, and just organically see what happens through the connectivity that I'm getting uh, from the Amazon business, my consulting, and then um, as a professor, uh, just seeing the, the, the youth and all the different verticals of, of talent, how they're coming together and how we just continue to do things, you know, point people in the right direction. There's not one clear path to where you're going, but if you can instill the right mindset and the right courage and uh, the right type of hustle that anybody can do anything, whether it's starting your own business from scratch, going to work at Procter and Gamble or something in between. So to answer your uh, question, I'm, I'm not there exactly on what it is yet, but there's something really brewing into this kind of fractional talent space and how you continue to uh, help navigate people to where they want to go. Okay. No, I think that, that makes good sense. So now if you're to look at the next six months to a year, where do you think it takes you? Continue to grow Amazon, make it better, chase and pursue another idea. Kind of where do you, where do you think the, the next uh, six to 12 months of your journey will go? Yeah, I think, um, I think that, Definitely Amazon's the priority and that business is, is a busy business, right? Um, and so I don't know if we'll necessarily grow a lot more with Amazon this next year. We'll see. I mean, I'd love to see what other things Amazon has in the works that they would want to come to me as a delivery service partner to help with. So we noodled with some other uh, pilots that they had been doing internally on the delivery space. And so would love to grow as much as we can, as much as Amazon would allow us to uh, within the Amazon framework. Uh, if that doesn't and also then on the quality end, you know, we learned a lot this year delivering, you know, 13,000 packages a day. There's a lot of things that go out on the road um, and, and definitely focusing on safety and a lot of the preventative measures that we can put in place uh, so that we, we don't have to learn some of the things that you have to learn the hard way uh, by getting in the logistics space. So definitely focusing on that business, making sure it can be wired up and be quality and it will be an always on uh, going thing. Uh, I think, I think if I were to talk about anything else that's just really fascinating me outside of the talent space, and it kind of halos back into Amazon, but just if there's an opportunity for some kind of autonomous delivery, right? I mean, we've talked about drones. We've talked about, um, you know, a lot of different things that are happening in the ecosystem. would love to figure out, especially with COVID and everything that's going on, shortening that gap between the distance of, 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 of a physical presence, whether it's a DoorDash delivery or um, anything else in between, how do you shorten that gap? And I think there's something really interesting going on in this space that I'd love to, to continue to tinker on, whether it's through consulting arrangements, whether it's through things that I do uh, with Amazon internally, would just love to continue to try to solve that problem and see what the next wave of innovation is going to be on that front. Cool. No, I think that it sounds like an, an exciting time on multiple fronts. So plenty of uh, a good, a good journey to go yet. So so as we kind of reach towards the end of the podcast, maybe I'll uh, kind of, I always ask two questions, so I'll, I'll hit on those now. Um, so the first question I always ask is, what was the worst business decision you ever made? Um, the worst business decision, uh, I would say uh, one of the funny things was, and it kind of turned into be a good and bad, but I'll tell you a quick story. Uh, we, there was a Super Bowl, it was the Seahawks versus the uh, New England Patriots a couple of years ago. It was, it was a really big um, Super Bowl. And they actually, you can read articles on it where 
people would literally um, sell tickets before they actually had the tickets. A lot of brokers and StubHub had to pay millions of dollars. Well, we were like, let's do that too, right? We've got someone that's got racked up credits and, and we'll, we'll be fine. Uh, we'll guarantee people just a, a seat into the stadium. Well, what happened that year, and you, again, you can look on Forbes. I think there was an article where I got quoted on what was kind of happening is the, 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 there's 65,000 tickets into the, uh, the, the Phoenix, Arizona uh, stadium. And they, they, the market sold about 80,000 tickets. So there weren't enough tickets to satisfy demand. So the price just kept going up and going up and going up. And luckily we only sold two, right? Where a lot of the other brokers sold a lot more. Mm. And I literally was like, I can't break my promise. Like one of the things that we live on is you can rack up your credits and you can use them for any event, you know, nationwide. And so I literally had to fly to Phoenix, Arizona with my wife at the time. Uh, and we, and we, we, we went there together and I'm still married to my wife, but at the time we were, you know, <laughs> I, I should preface that. We, uh, we, we went there, uh, flew to, flew to Phoenix, stayed with her cousin and literally met the people at the, uh, at a Denny's and said, Hey, I have two tickets. I guarantee you, I promise you, uh, the Tixers commitment that will get you into the game. However, I'm going to lose a lot of money on these tickets. I'll pay you money not to go to the game. I'll literally pay you money and a profit so I can sell these tickets again and at least hedge my bet. And these fans were so stern and so diehard Seahawks fan. They said, no, we want those tickets. So I gave them those tickets. And long story short, um, it hurt the bank account at the time as a, as a startup. But it, it went back to our true mission, which was uh, if, if we were going to guarantee someone tickets into a game, we were going to do whatever we could to do it. And we did that. But, uh, man, if I could go back, I would tell well, one of the guys on the team at the time, do not approve that ticket like, request. They have their credits, but we cannot satisfy the demand into the Super Bowl because this is an unprecedented event. <laughs> so that's, a, that's long story short. That's just one that popped into my head. If I could go back, I would have loved to tell uh, that employee at the time, do not, do not hit approve. Oh, that isn't, that is a pretty interesting story. So no, I, I, uh, I, I think that's both a lesson learned and it's also a, a good, I think a good business practice. And even though the, sometimes the mistakes you make to honor, to make good on it, to make sure that the customers and that are happy and satisfied sometimes while it hits a bank account, I think it's the, the good and honorable thing to do and will pay off in rewards in the, the long run for the business. So, okay. Yeah. Now if I to jump to the second question I always ask is, so, um, for someone that's just getting into startups or small businesses or wanting to get into that, getting into them, what would be the one piece of advice you'd give them? I just think you have to do it. You know, you just have to keep jumping in and, and, and working on things. I think too many people want to sit uh, behind a desk or in a, in a huddle room and just noodle out on a whiteboard, this big vision. And a lot of people can articulate that vision. They see, they see the empire that they want to build. They see it at scale, but they don't know how to take one step forward. And so I always use the example with Tixers. What I did is, you know, I, I, I quit my job. I got into an accelerator. I obviously had some relationships to do that. But rather than like spending a bunch of money and time building a sophisticated technology platform that I was going to have to throw in the trash, which don't get me wrong, I did learn the hard way a little bit on mm. that front. Luckily, I had someone that believed in my vision and that ended up, you know, getting me on the right track. But I just started doing it, right? I said, hey, uh, someone found out I started this company and they said, Hey, I have two tickets to the Cincinnati Bengals uh, Steelers game. I can't go. What do I do? And rather than saying, Oh, we're going to launch in three months. I said, Hey, where are the tickets? He goes in my, my, uh, my office across the street. I go, go get them. And he goes across the street, gives me the two tickets. He goes, now what? I go, well, I promise you that 
Um, you tell me another game that you want to go to in Cincinnati and I'll get you tickets. Right. So he goes, all right, I guess I'll trust you, Alex, you know, gives me the two tickets. I give him my contact information and I immediately then go sell the tickets on the side of the street to a scalper. Right. And I got that money. I put that money in my pocket. And then I hope that guy wasn't going to call me for a while. Well, he called me in a couple weeks later and said, Hey, I want to go to the Ravens uh, Bengals game. I said, okay, where do you want to sit? I said, I can get you tickets here. He says, cool. I bought those tickets on StubHub and I emailed them to him and he went to the game. Guess what? Um, you know, then he came back time and time again and leveraged my service and told a bunch of people about it. Right. So I use that example that figure out whether you have the technology built, just do things that don't scale. There's a lot of people read about Paul Graham and some of his teachings on that. I 100% recommend that. Now, to an extent, if you're doing that forever, well, then you don't have a scalable business. But to start so you can learn and listen to your customers and build something accordingly, I 100% recommend doing something like that. No, I think that that's two interesting stories and two good, lesson, good lessons learned or, or two lessons taught. So I think that that's uh, both of them are very insightful. So, okay, well, as we reach the end, as people want to reach out to you, connect with you, invest in one of your great businesses that you have either going now or in the future or otherwise want to get engaged or involved, what's the best way to connect with you? Yeah, um, so probably the best way is we have a website, uh, my consulting business. It's called whatiszuki.com. So it's what is and then zuki z-o-o-k-y.com there's a little field that's kind of where people will reach out to us and say hey there's a problem that they want us to help solve and then that's how we kind of get get engaged whether it's um you know something that we can noodle on together and at least point in the right direction or maybe my team can help build something uh, from there uh or if it's easier my uh my personal email is alex burkhart my name a-l-e-x-b-u-r-k-h-a-r-t-3 at gmail.com so uh I also throw my cell phone out there. I don't know, but 419-566-8080. Uh, wherever it comes in from, you know, would love to, to, I always love having a conversation with anybody. And, and especially that's, again, that's why I teach too. Uh, I, some people have a passion to go home and watch Netflix or, you know, play golf or do different things. And don't get me wrong. I like doing that too, but more times than none, if we can talk about what the next business idea or unique innovation is, um, I'll stay up all night talking about it. So. Mm. Uh, definitely love the hustle. Right. I'm right there with you. I enjoy it. And I think it makes for a, a, a fun and exciting life. So appreciate you sharing that. And certainly as people want to reach out, get engaged or involved or connect up with you or um, hear one of your lectures, that will be all, all, the, all the fun uh, to, to make those connections. So, well, great. Well, I appreciate you coming on the podcast. Always have more things that we could dive into that we never have enough time to, but always a fun conversation. Um, appreciate you sharing your journey. Um, for those of you that are uh, wanting to share your journey and have a good journey to tell, feel free to reach out to us at, at eventivejourney.com to apply to be on the, the podcast. For those of you that are listeners, make sure to subscribe to catch this episode and all the other episodes. And uh, for those of you that need any patent and trademark help, feel free to reach out to us. We're always there to help. Make sure to take care of the startup and the business community. So thanks again, Alex. It's been fun to have you on. It was a great, uh, great to talk to you and good luck with the, the next leg of your journey. All right, I appreciate it. Let's stay in touch. Perfect.